This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. So we continue in our series, Power. If you have your bulletins, you can uh, look in that. And we're talking about the work of the Spirit, and it's just wonderful to see the evidence of God's Spirit at work in people. In preparation for this message, um, I began to think about and remember a film that Chan and I enjoyed watching a couple years ago. It was a film entitled Catch Me If You Can. How many of you remember that? It's a story based on the real life of a man named Frank Abagnale Jr. Uh, he was a con man. Before age 18, he had pretended and successfully operated as a pilot for Pan Am, a doctor and a lawyer had pulled off perhaps the greatest bank robbery in the history of the United States. Uh, Pretty amazing. The story is about Abagnale, who's played by Leo DiCaprio, and then the FBI agent, and I always forget his name, so I'll look at my notes here, um, FBI agent Carl Hanratty, who's played by none other than Tom Hanks. And so it's a story about uh, the FBI agent pursuing this con man. What's amazing to me is when, I, when we finished the movie, it, it reinforced something that I had been taught and I had learned in life. Confidence opens up a lot of doors. Confidence. If you look like you know what you're doing and you can say the right things and you can kind of project the right image, if you can dress the right way, uh, it provides a lot of op- openings. People will trust someone who exudes confidence, right? And of course, Abagnale was a fake. He wasn't really who he pretended to be, but because he had this gift of conning people, of acting in a way that ensued confidence. He said the right things and he knew the right ways to say what he needed to say and do what he had to do. Um, Because of that, it gave him the opportunity then to be the greatest con man in U.S. history. Confidence. Confidence. You know, I have uh, been spending some time kind of investigating this idea of confidence. What, what, what is confidence? And in terms of sporting performance, I've been reading a few books about it, and, uh, you know, what makes a person confident in who they are? That, that ability to be, uh, know who you are, know what you can do, and execute on that. There's a psychological term that I've become aware of. It's, not, it's been around for a while. It's called the idea of flow. Flow is what an athlete would say is being in the zone. And here, the definition of flow is is that the mental state of operation in which a person performing an activity is fully immersed in a feeling of energized focus, full involvement, and enjoyment in the process of the activity. Flow is when you're at the point where you're facing a higher than normal challenge, and you can meet that challenge with higher than normal skill. Flow. Flow is at that place when, when you're working and time seems to fly by and it's not, and you're just able to do exactly what you need to do in a way that you need to do it. Flow happens when, when you have that confidence that that basketball player says, Give me the ball, I will win the shot, I, I'll win the game for you, coach. I'll drain the three pointer. Give me the ball, I can throw the strike. Throw that ball, I'm going to put it over the fence. Confidence, flow. 
You know, we want those people in our life that are doing something specialized to have that, don't we? We don't want a doctor, a surgeon who comes down and sits with us and says, you know, this is a really difficult surgery and I'm not sure I can do it. I'll give my best shot. <laughs> may or may not be able to make it. No, we don't want a doctor that says that. No, we'd rather have a doctor and we often joke that thinks he's somewhat God and can do whatever he can do. Well, we want that. Why? Because we know we want someone who has mastered the skills that they have acquired over time, investing in their passion and able to execute on what they say they're going to do. We want a mechanic that is able to say, yes, I can fix that. We want a musician that can say, absolutely, I can learn this part and play it and move people. We want people with confidence doing the job they're called to do. And, and it's actually something that we pursue in life, right? Why do we work at what we do? We work so that we can get better, so that we can have confidence in executing the job that we're doing. We pursue school, and we go to training, and we go after our passions. Why? Because we're looking to this place where we can exercise flow. When we're in flow, it, it makes us feel good. It, it builds us up. It allows us to, to gain the full pleasure of the task that we're giving ourselves to. Now, let's apply this idea of confidence when we talk about our faith. And when I say faith, I'm talking about our status, our relationship with God. The Bible is clear that by our own means, by our own strengths, by our own merits, none of us have any reason to be confident when it comes to our relationship with God that our best efforts, our righteousness is like filthy rags, the Bible says. And, and inherently we know that. There's nothing we can do to earn God's approval because one failure, one uh, inability to fulfill what God requires from us disqualifies us from being able to be in fellowship with Him. That's, that's clearly stated in the Bible, and I know that we feel that at the bottom of our hearts. That's why we strive to be good enough. We strive to make ourselves feel like we're doing what we need to do in order to be justified and feel that we are good and that God will give us His favor. So based upon our own efforts, we have no reason to be confident before God. But the good news is, and that's why we're here at church, that's why we, we have the cross, a cross is a symbol of what God has provided. God provides a way by which we can be right with Him, not based on our own merit, but the meritorious effort of Jesus. Jesus came into the world as, one, as a representative of humanity, gave up His life, did not sin, but instead gave up His innocent life, to pay the price for us who are guilty. And because of that, if we are willing to receive it by grace, through faith, at baptism, what we've just witnessed, we're able to come to a point where we can stand before God. Apostle John said, we don't approach the throne of grace in fear any longer. No, we approach with confidence. Why? Not because of what we've done, but because of who we believe in, Jesus. Right? And so we have every reason because of our faith in Christ to be confident in our status, confident in our position before God. We have every reason based on the witness of Scripture and, and the work of Jesus to say, you know what, because of God has provided a way for me to be right with Him, I know I'm heard by God, I'm a child of God, I'm able to receive the blessings that God provides, I'm able to, to live the life that God wants me to live by the power He provides through the Spirit He gives to me. 
We have every reason to be confident. The trouble is, if you're like me, that's a struggle. It's a struggle. And while I can say, yes, I, I believe that with my head, I have a hard time sometimes embracing it with my heart. Sometimes I struggle with my confidence in my status with God. Sometimes I struggle in believing that God is really looking for my best interest. Sometimes I have a struggle trusting that God will fulfill His promises. And it usually happens when something bad occurs and I pray and I pray and I pray and it just seems like my prayers are pinging off the roof and coming back to me and no one's listening. Or that I see one bad thing happen after another to loved ones, to myself, and I'm like, well, come on. I've done everything right, God. Why am I being punished? Sometimes, and I'm just being transparent here, sometimes is I don't think God knows what He's doing with my life. And I figured I can figure out my own happiness. I can figure out my own uh, way. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm not so sure that you have it all together, God, in terms of me. You know, so I'm going to just do it my way, and I'm not necessarily going to trust living for you. And when I'm in that place, I deal with a crisis of confidence and faith. And the problem is, is that when I'm in that place, when I'm in those moments, I try to compensate. I try to compensate. I try to look for confidence in things that are not based on the promises of God, but instead are based on the, the, the results of my own effort. And many times in church circles and many times in, in environments where we call we're a community of faith, we begin to construct things, we begin to add on things that we can control and identify easily as lists and check off to say, oh, okay, if we do all these things, then we're in. John Orper calls them pseudo-spirituality, markers that we develop that we say, well, if we, we vote this way and we talk this way and we do these things and we, we, we don't do these things, therefore, we are those who belong and that's what we need to do. I heard a story that I think captures this well, a story of a man who built a garden. You know, and those of you that garden, the thrill of a garden is the planting, right? And then when you start to see results... Little plant starts coming out of the, of the ground, and you're like, oh, leaves, yeah, and you start nurturing, and you get excited, and then, of course, then it really gets exciting if you're doing a fruit garden or a vegetable garden, you see flowers, because you know the flowers mean fruit are coming. The tomatoes will come. The zucchini is going to come. The cucumber is going to come. The, the lettuce is going to be grown, and you get all excited, and so this man built a garden, and he was investing in the garden, and it was growing, it was developing, and then one day he came out, and he recognized vermin have been in here. Something's been eating in my garden, nibbling on the leaves, snipping off the flowers. Maybe there were Japanese beetles. I hate Japanese beetles. Hate, hate, hate. I mean, if you want to, definition of the place we all go to condemn for me is having to deal with Japanese beetles. I hate them. They not only destroy and eat leaves, they just mess everywhere. It's, it's horrible. Anyway, so maybe there were some Japanese beetles in there. I don't know. But anyway, this garden was infected with little vermin, and so the man did what he needed to do. He built a fence. First, it was just a small fence. He figured that would be enough to keep the vermin out, but it wasn't. 
somehow the vermin found a way. They got through, they got over, they got under. So he said, no, I'm going to up the ante. And so he began to really obsess with protecting his garden from the vermin. And so he dug down a, a footer and he laid down uh, concrete in there so they couldn't dig under and he built up this high wall around his garden and, and he built it out to, to keep the vermin out, to, to keep the garden safe, to keep it so that he could know that, that everything was all right. And then one day he climbed over his wall and he looked down into his garden and he was shocked. The garden had shriveled and died and was rotting and was not producing and it was not vibrant. And he realized that the wall that he had built to keep the garden alive, in effect, ended up killing the garden because the wall was keeping the sun from shining on the garden. And he was so focused on building his wall, he forgot that in order to keep the garden alive, he had to tend the garden. Well, I think that's what we do sometimes when we want to feel like we're safe in our faith, that we're protected from the bad, that we are uh, right with God. We build walls. We build walls. We build these constructions of, of what it requires to be a, a Jesus follower. You need to learn X, Y, Z. You need to follow this dogma. You need to belong to my church and be baptized in, in my way. You need to sing the songs that, that are spiritually right, and, and, and you, know, you need to sing in this music style. You need to dress in this certain way. You can't smoke, but you can overeat, but you can't smoke, and you better vote Republican and you, and, you, and you better, if you really want to make sure that you're in, you better have this experience where, you, where you, we speak in tongues or do whatever. And what we do is we set up these walls that indicate that God is working in our life, but in reality, they're walls that, that, that get us away from the focus of taking care of what we need to take care of, and that is investing in the garden of God, spiritual growth in our life. There are pseudo-spiritual markers that have nothing to do with what it means to be transformed as God intended. Now, the great thing is, is we've just come off a series here at Mount Carmel where we were journeying through the letter of Ephesians. How many of you remember that, right? So we went through the letter of Ephesians, and we discovered, if you remember, the, the one theme that was picked up in Ephesians is that the letter of Ephesians was written to Christians who were having a, a crisis of confidence. Now, the reason they were having a crisis of confidence was this teaching that was coming out of, of, of the church in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, primarily made up of Jews. The church in Ephesus and all those around in Asia Minor, Turkey, were made up of non-Jews. The message coming out of this church in Jerusalem by a sect of Christians said this, if you really want to be sure that you're right with God, you need to first become a Jew before you can accept what Jesus offers as the Messiah. You see, Jesus was a Jew. And so the way it works is you've got to become a Jew first before you become a Christian. And so they were mandating that non-Jews submit themselves to Jewish practices, to follow Jewish festivals and eat kosher and for the men to be circumcised. And Paul has to deal with this because this teaching undermined what he was teaching these folks and it really was like a wall that was being built. It was, it was building a confidence that was not based on truth, but a confidence based on a construction uh, that came outside of God's Word. And so he writes this letter to the Ephesians to assure them, no, this is not the way we know we are right with God. 
This is another way we can have confidence in our identity with Christ. This interesting thing is you note that this wall building wasn't working, right? Paul had to address issue of moral behavior with these folks. Why? Because their confidence in their own walls didn't fulfill the life change that God promised. And they were returning in terms of their moral behavior to what they used to do before they became Christians. The wild and crazy living, drunkenness and sleeping around and, and, and treating people badly and lying to one another. They were going into that behavior. Why? Because they had no confidence in the message that they had received regarding Christ. And so Ephesians is a letter written to correct the error, but more importantly, to remind Christians where we need to look when it comes to our source of confidence. Ephesians chapter 1, let's go there. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Paul says, in him, and him is Jesus, so in Jesus, and he's addressing a church. So this is applicable to you and me. We're mostly non-Jews here. I don't know if there's any Jewish folks here, but we're mostly non-Jews. This is, this is applicable to us. In him, in Jesus, you also, we, are after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, after accepting the message that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, by the good news is that we can be made right with God through faith in Jesus, by grace through faith in baptism. After listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory." Bottom line, Paul says this, the Holy Spirit at work in my life, and I mean here as a Jesus follower, the Holy Spirit work in my life as a Jesus follower assures me that God keeps His promise. The source of confidence isn't any wall I build, but more importantly, the source of confidence I need to know that God keeps His promises is the work of the Spirit in my life in the present. Paul says the source of confidence, the, so the power source of flow in your faith walk is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit is a seal. What's a seal? Well, a seal, think of a, a drop of hot wax, right? We were familiar somewhat with seals here still today. Hot drop hot wax where then an a emblem, a signature from a ring or, or a stamp was put on. What does that seal mean? It meant that this whatever is being sealed, is owned by the one who's put the seal on it. It's, it's like signing on the dotted line, guaranteeing uh, what is promised by the one who owns it. Paul says, the Spirit of God in your life, active in the present, is the sign that you belong to God. Not only that you belong to God, that He paid the price for you, that you've accepted into your life, and that you will receive the promises of being a child of God. The status you acquired when you first became a Christian is applicable to your life, and you know it to be true in your day-to-day -day as the Spirit of God works in you. The measure of Christian maturity is the work of the Spirit in your daily activity. So if I'm aware of the Spirit of work and present, then I can be assured 
that God will fulfill His promises when I face the inevitable unknowns and struggles living for God in this world. Romans 8, Paul gets to this. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And so the important thing for us to gain is this. If I'm interested living confidently for God, if I want to receive the blessings that God promises to His children as they live in this world by faith in Jesus, if I'm interested in seeing the transformation that God provides, my focus needs then to be a daily submission to the Spirit in my day-to-day life affairs. See, we don't live our Christian life alone. We, live, we don't live by our power. We live it with the presence and the power of the Spirit. Remember, I've used that word before. It's a with thing. God with me. That is a continual promise of Scripture. When we become right with God through Jesus, God with me. And that becomes a source of confidence. God with me. So whenever I'm disappointed, whenever I'm let down, whenever I feel like no one is listening to me, when I'm wounded or abandoned, when tragedy strikes me, I can stand knowing God with me. God with me. And the the, the way God with me works is that His Spirit is active in my life, bringing about transformation as I submit myself daily to His leadership. Think of it this way. It's like marriage. In marriage, you have a one-time event that changes your status, right? The ceremony. But that's not the end, and, end of it, right? It's not like I said to Shannon, we got married. I said, I do. She said, I do. We had a ceremony. I said, great, honey. I'm so glad we did this. You go your way. I'll go my way. I'm so glad you provided me this opportunity not to go to the grave as a bachelor. See ya. Yeah, it's not going to work. I might go to the grave after I say that. <laughs> and those of you that know Shannon know exactly what I'm talking about. No, we know that marriage is a one-time identity change event that then is the beginning in which you invest in fulfilling the promises you make to live in that identity for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part, Right? That's how it works with the Spirit. Since we're talking marriage, here's another illustration. Old couple lived in a house, strange-looking house. It was a house that was kind of shaped for some reason like an L. Kids had left. They're all alone. They're like, we don't need all the space in this big house. Let's take advantage of what we've been given. So they remodeled one section of the house, put it out to rent. Young couple, just about to get married, said, we'll take it. We'll move in after wedding, after we get back from the honeymoon. They said, that's great. So they moved in, the young couple. One day, the older couple were, just had dinner. They went to the living room, and just as it happened to be, their living room looked right into the living room of the other apartment, and they saw the young couple there. The older couple, she was there with her favorite magazine in her chair, and he was in his chair with the newspaper 
in his own world. And she looked up and she looked into the other room with the young couple and she noticed they were on the couch canoodling, talking, whispering sweet moments of love or whatever. And she sighed and she said, oh, look at that. Doesn't that look nice? He looked up. He grunted. (laughs) After a moment, she said, maybe we ought to try that again, honey. He looked up again after a long pause, and he said, I told you once I loved you, and if ever I change my mind, I'll let you know. (laughs) Children, do not do this at home. (laughs) Yet too many times we do that with God, don't we? We have that same attitude toward the Holy Spirit. I told God once I wanted in my life, and if I've ever changed my mind, I'll let him know. But that's not how it works. You see, submitting the details of my life, living by the Spirit, and living by the leadership of the Spirit requires that I am responsible to lay my life open and give myself to the efforts that align my life on a day-to-day basis with his leadership. See, you're filled with the Spirit in relation to how much you are willing to empty yourself. You'll be filled as much as you are willing to let go. And that's why we encourage the practices. The practices aren't definers of spirituality. The practices, spiritual practices, disciplines, bring us to the place where we are filled by the Spirit to see the transformation that He brings. So we pray so that we may learn to speak to the Spirit because the Spirit is not an it, it is a Him. It's a person. We learn and live Scripture so that we might attune our ears to His voice and learn and train our lives so we might live in harmony with His will. We say yes to opportunity to serve so we might be able to align ourselves to be blessed with a gift to bless another in the mission that God calls us by His Spirit. We choose to manage our money and do our business in life Submitting it to the principles of Scripture. Why? Not because, uh, you know, it's about a following book. No, it's about learning to live in harmony with God's Spirit. And when we do that, we continue to give ourselves, submit our day-to-day to the leadership of the Spirit. And we learn to love Him deeply and walk with Him. You see, it's a fellowship. The dynamics of interpersonal relationship apply to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you had a friend and you stopped talking to him and you ignored him and you didn't have anything to do with him, we all know that that relationship, that friendship would quickly deteriorate and become nothing. Well, that same principle applies with the Spirit of God. If we ignore the Spirit, if we don't listen to the Spirit, if we don't pay attention to the Spirit, if we're not submitting ourselves to recognize His presence in our life, It begins to hinder and dampen and, the Bible says, quench or put out the Spirit working in our life. And we will lose confidence in our faith. You see, the why of prayer, the why of Bible study, the why of church going and fellowship and community living and serving, the why of why we do what we do as a church is all about learning to live our life in step with the Spirit as we live with God by His Spirit. See, life in the Spirit is a conscious, deliberate relationship with a person. Two persons in a friendship. 
It's not some kind of blind wish or some uh, emotional experience that you have to have once and keep manufacturing in order to affirm that, that God's spirit in your life. It's far more genuine and so far more real and holistic. When you're filled with the spirit, you are the most sane, dedicated, honest person you can be. Paul said the product of the Spirit in your life is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Susan Masonick said love, joy, and all that other stuff are a fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of our own efforts. We can't produce them on our own, period. The fruit comes only as we submit our lives and let the Spirit control us. Terry Fulham said the fruit of the Spirit grows only in the garden of obedience. The characteristics of life change don't sound crazy to me. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They don't sound like emotionalism to me. They sound like living life in our day-to-day. And this is not to say that we cannot express emotionally with excitement and joy and tears and, and overwhelmed feeling and express that because of the God we've come to know and love and the Spirit that, that's in our lives. That's not saying that, but it's saying that to live by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit is to live submitting our day-to-day details to Him and seeing Him produce things in us that don't originate us, but transform us into different kinds of people. If you've been a Christian a while, if you've been a Christian maybe a little while, and you're not seeing life change as described as love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, you might want to start examining life in the Spirit. If you're grumpier today than you were when you first became a Christian, something's amiss here. If you're meaner, more pessimistic, if you're not as filled with faith, if you're not as, 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 as prone to forgive and love, then you might want to examine this concept of life in the Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all the things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Being filled with the Spirit is a day-to-day, present, continuous thing. It's something that has to keep happening. And what we have to do following Scripture is we have to put off things that hinder the Spirit so that we might put on the things that God provides by His Spirit. Let me close with a, a story that I think will capture this challenge. Man tells a story of time when he was a boy. His father used to work in Alaska, so he would travel and leave the family. Mom and, and his brothers would leave the family for like three, four months at a time. So before he went, the ritual was dad would then give all the boys an assignment to do while he was gone. Good for them. This man's name was Dennis, and one year Dennis's assignment was to walk out to the back of the house, back of the yard, up a little bit of a hill to the water tank that was fed by a spring, and his job was simply to get the leaves off the top that fell into the tank. And the reason was is that he didn't want the leaves 
gathering together and blocking the pipe, hindering the water to the house. Well, Dennis did the job while Dad was away, one day, two days, three days, and then one day he kind of forgot, and he was like, oh, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. So he went back to it and then kind of got out of the rhythm to eventually, basically the last month since Dad was gone, he didn't clean up the leaves. Dad returned and everyone was excited and, of course, Mom was giving Dad, as moms do, update on how things were for the last three months. And she said, oh, we have a problem with the water. It doesn't seem like there's enough for us in the house. To which Dad sat up and looked and said, Dennis, come with me. He walked with Dennis back to the tank and sure enough, the leaves had fallen into the tank and had blocked up the pipe. Let me share with you Dennis's reflection on that lesson. Dennis later said, the tragedy is that on too many occasions in my life, I failed to clean the things out of the way that would keep the channel open for the Holy Spirit to be coming through. So I have failed at times because I failed to appropriate the power of the Spirit. What are the leaves in your life that need to be cleaned out in order to allow the Spirit of God to flow? What are the lies that you're believing that erode the confidence you might have in God fulfilling His promises? Maybe you believe that you have a better handle on your finances than what God instructs. Maybe you think you have a better handle on your happiness, your relationships. Maybe you have gone through tragedy and I'm like, following God is not working. I don't know. But they all are leaves that are going to block up the channel that allows the Spirit of God to flow in your life, to produce the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, the transformational power that, that becomes the basis of which you can live, you can understand the truth that the Spirit of God in my life now provides the assurance, blessed assurance, oh, Jesus is mine, blessed assurance that God will fulfill his promises even when I face the unknown, even when I face life challenges, even though I may have opposition coming toward me as I live for God. What are the leaves blocking the channels? We're going to close by praying. I'm going to ask members of our prayer team, these are guys that are available, who have been called to the ministry of prayer. They believe that Jesus is the Christ, and prayer of a righteous folk by faith avails much. So these guys are available to pray with you on things that you may need. If you have a decision to make regarding your faith walk, come and let them know, and they will direct you to where you need to go for your next steps. If you're interested in finding out what it means to be baptized, give your life to Christ, live for Jesus, uh, these are the guys to come forward to talk to. But I ask they come forward and let's stand. We'll close with prayer together. And after we pray, I ask that you would uh, take what you've heard and ponder it and listen to what God says to you on it. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this time we can share. I pray that by your spirit you will speak to us. That we might be folks who are characterized not as wall builders, but as those who have living their life in harmony with the Spirit. Pray that you might help us to be a church who is Spirit-filled as defined by your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.